that they are today. And so we see that, that the first season that we step into life is the season of childhood, just being a child, enjoying being a child, enjoying being blessed and cared for. Uh, I told one of the kids that had a baby this week, I said, this, this child will never learn how to walk because everybody's going to carry this baby everywhere he goes. And, and that's, that's what life is all about, spoiling our children, blessing our children. And then someone, you get around 12, 13 years of age, we begin to go through what we realize is puberty. All of a sudden, we begin to grow hair. Things begin to change. We actually think that girls are pretty, not ugly. And, and, and we actually learn that boys start chasing, you know, all that, that puberty thing. And then there's a season of high school where we pretty much learn our habits and learn how to study and learn how to work. Many of us will go into a season of college or higher education. Most of us will get a job, and that season of getting a job, and financially, we realize that we are prepared to get married. The Bible says, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. God will bring a wife or a husband or life. We get married. That's a wonderful season. And then lo and behold, after we've been married a while, along comes a baby, and so we go through the process of being a parent. And as that, as that child goes through the process of being a, a child, then he, that child will marry, and we become grandparents. And grandparents are so wonderful because grandparents, you get to pick and choose when you want them and send them home when you're done. You spoil them rotten and you send them home and let mom deal with all the, the mess you made while they were there with you. Can anybody relate? Love going to grandma's house. I love that season. Both my grandparents are in heaven and I preach my grandfather and my grandmother's funeral and uh, miss them terribly. And then as we get the kids out of the house, it seems like we will take on a new project or a new era or a new something, something new. Some of us will actually go back to school. Some of us will actually get a higher education. We'll start a business. We'll start a hobby. We'll open up an antique shop, a bakery, something that, something that, that, that we've always wanted to do but couldn't do because of all the seasons that we had to step through. So we find this season is actually a circuit or a circle. It's like a revolution. And as the sun circles the earth, 24 hours makes that journey traveling 60,000 miles an hour. We find that life is all, all about seasons. We are now stepping into what we call the winter season. How many knows in the winter, a lot of things don't grow? In the winter, things look desolate. They look empty. They look dry. They look desolate. But along comes spring. And as spring comes, all those things begin to poke out of the ground. The seeds have been sowed or that have fallen. The bulbs are already there. The bulbs begin to peek out their heads. And I believe it's the crocus that makes the first appearance in the, in the plant kingdom. And then all of a sudden, here comes the day lilies. And here comes all of the, all the different things. And then that, that spring will pass. And there'll be a season called summer. And that summer has a tendency to kind of kill everything. Everything dies down. Everybody goes to Florida and then we step back into winter. So it, it's, it's almost like, again, a circuit. If you survive one season, you'll probably survive the next season. Can anybody relate? And, and know that whatever season you're in, this season is about to pass, whether we like it or not. Whether it's a great season or a terrible season, it's going to come around again. And uh, if you've not got that down yet, you need to watch the movie Groundhog Day to see what happens when you do things over and over and over again. I, I love that movie. That, I mean, that is probably one of my favorite because as he realized that he was never going to step into tomorrow, he began to take advantage of the day. And he learned how to play the piano. He learned all. And if, you, if you've not seen the movie, you've got to see it because I think it's Bill Murray. Bill Murray. I mean, one of, I think Bill Murray is actually called to be an evangelist. And I think he's kind of missed his call. But all that talent, 
all that, such a great movie. Then all of a sudden, one day, it's not that day, it's a new day. It's another day. And as we begin to experience, if you look at your wrist, if you don't have anything on it, that's okay. Just assume there's a wristwatch there. And as we look at that, that is what we call chronos time, chronological or chronos time. As we look at God's clock and we look at God's calendar, we look at a Kairos time. So you have Kronos, you have Kairos, and all of us would rather operate in the Kairos than we would in the Kronos. Can anybody relate? Because the, because the more days that pass, the older we get. And I, I really feel it's God's will for every one of us once we turn 50 to get something tucked, something nipped, something added, something shrunk, something. I just feel like that's God. Hey, if the, bar, if the barn needs a coat of paint, paint the turkey, okay? And, uh, and be blessed in that. But it seems like every day as we step into the new day, every day something new is happening in the kingdom of God. Look, if you will, Ecclesiastes 3. To everything, look at someone and say, everything, everything. there is a season. And a time to every purpose under heaven. Look at somebody and say, a time for every purpose. Okay. Look at somebody and say, there's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. There's a reason for the stress. There's a reason for the storm. There's a reason for the situation. Last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul, how they thought he was a God because he spoke in the life of the captain. The storm obeyed. They were all safe. And then as they began to build the fire, a snake bit him, and they said he was a devil. And he just shook the snake off. Look at somebody say, shook the snake off. And when he shook the snake off, he lived. They thought he was a god. Beware of popular opinion. Beware. Because one day Jesus was a hero. The next day they were saying, crucify. I read a story uh, this week on Facebook, and half of my sermons come from Facebook, but this is a really good thought or, or sermon idea about an old Tennessee farmer that had a mule, and this mule was old, blind, and the mule fell in the well. It fell, look at somebody say, the mule fell in the well. And so he's trying to figure out some way to get his mule out of the well, and no matter what he thought, he couldn't figure out how to do it. Some friends came over, and so he decided, well, the, the mule is old, he's done, may as well just fill the well in. So they got their shovels and began to put dirt in the well, shovel after shovel, and they heard some noise and they looked down and much to their surprise, this mule, every time a shovel full of dirt hit his back, he simply shook the dirt off and stepped up on the dirt, eventually got all the way to the top of the well, walked out and lived. How cool of a story is that about persistence? But you know what? There are, there are things that, that sometimes we just need to shake off. Sometimes we create them. Sometimes others create them. But sometimes we realize it really doesn't matter what you speak or what you confess. Say it with me. It is what it is. It is what it is. And so you can take that proverbial lemon and throw it at somebody and whack them in the head. Or you can take that proverbial lemon and make lemonade. Or you can take that proverbial lemon and give it to somebody else and let them turn it into something positive, something that's a blessing, something that God can ordain and God can touch. So every, everything that happens to you, there is a reason and there is a purpose. There are 28 times that fall into four categories of seven. And if you went home and did the math with these 28 times, you would find that seven would fall in the category of spring. Seven would fall in the category of summer. Seven fall in the category of winter. You say, well, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, the, the word says there's a time to embrace when it's cold, you hug. Right? right? 
There's a time to refrain from bracing. When it's hot, you keep others at a distance. So if you'll, if you'll do the math, you'll find that all these 28 times will fall into seven categories of four, summer, fall, winter, and spring. So notice what, the, what these times are. There's a time to be born. Look at somebody and say, thank God you're born. And a time to die. There's a day coming when all of us will stand before God. It's a point of man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. A time to plant. A time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones. A time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. A time to refrain from embracing. A time to get. A time to lose. A time to keep silence. Let's say that two or three times. <laughs> a time to keep silence. And a time, and a time to keep silence. <laughs> and a time to... And a time to keep silence and a time to speak. I, I think if, if most, well, I, I won't even go there, but I, I think that a lot of times we need to learn that if anything can get us in trouble, it is our mouth. I mean, and, and I have learned never say the word never. Never say I'll never do that again or I'll never go there again or I'll never try that again or I'll never this or I'll never that because that's you the one thing you turn right back around and you do it again. A time to rent, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate. The Bible says, love God, hate evil. A time of war, a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he is laboreth? Watch this. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of man to be exercised in it. Verse 11 is so precious, and it's for everyone in this house. He hath made Everything beautiful in his time also he set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there's no good in them, but for a man, watch this, to rejoice and do good in his life. In these seasons that we experience, Solomon is saying it's God's will for you to enjoy life. God is not a God that places us in environments that that we're going to hate or we're not going to like. Usually, we place ourselves in environments and in places that we don't like, that we hate. Can, any, can anybody relate? And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's a, vo- there's a verse I wanted to uh, bring to your attention. Let me find it real quick. Verse 15. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, for God required that which is past. That's kind of a fancy way of saying there's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be and what will be has been. What's the point of that statement? Somebody has already walked where you have walked and have survived and has come back to tell us that everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. I spent a few minutes last night with the kids. They were out at one of our rentals. We were laying some hardwood floor. And so I shared with them my, my sermon thought for this morning. And I'm not sure if I, if I confused them or not, but they laughed at the right places and clapped at the right time. So I believe that they got it. I said, tomorrow I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about, and you can write this down if you want. I'm going to talk about create uncreate, and recreate. Man, it's quiet in here. Drop, drop a pin or something. 
just like this shirt. Robbie got this for him for Christmas and a pin and it put it on. It stuck me and I bled. First of all, take responsibility in the fact that you've created some things. Don't assume that everything you created is awesome. There's some things in your life that we need to recreate. Because then when we take what we have created and we, and we uncreate it, then we can recreate it. But if you don't re- recreate that which is uncreated based upon what is created, then you'll never be able to recreate the uncreate to walk in the create. That's where I lost them. That's where I lost them. They stayed with me. It went. They stayed with me in the create, and then we kind of stepped into the uncreate, but I think I lost them on the recreate. You are at a place right now in your life where it's important that you take 100% responsibility for where you're at. No one put a gun to your head and forced you to do drugs. No one put a gun to your head and forced you to get married. No one put a gun to your head and forced you to eat that second piece of chocolate cake. No one forced you to keep that job. No one forced you to stay in that job. I believe that we have blamed our parents because our first greatest accomplishment was what? The toilet. And a lot of us are disappointed because of our great creation. Our parents flushed it. Go say, go there with me. That the time I believe that we stop blaming our parents, stop blaming our school, stop blaming our pastor, stop blaming our peers, stop blaming our husbands, stop blaming our children, and realize we are where we, we're at today because of the decisions that we have made. And if we're where we're at today because of the decisions that we have made and we don't like where we're at, the Bible says that we can start all over again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm learning. going to give the Lord a hand cup of praise that, that things can be changed. I, have, I am learning, and most of you know that we have walked through those that are, that are bipolar, and we walked through those that are manic depressed, and then we walked through those that are multiple personalities. And the, the, the reason for a, a multiple personality is that when someone was real young, something horrible happened to them, so they created a personality to hide in where it's not reality, but it's safe. And I think a lot of us sometimes have, have created, uh, there's a place that we go. I've, I've talked to and I've been with people that have been prisoners of war, and when they went through some of the torture and some of the horror and some of the pain, they would let their mind go to someplace pleasant so they could not sense what was going on in their life. And it'd be nice if all of us could do that. If there's a place that we could go when bad times come and bad times hurt, that we don't get wounded by that. And I believe there is a place that we can go to. I believe it's sheltered, safe in the arms of God. Uh, there's a place that we can hide. I believe there's a rock higher than I. I believe there's a rock that we can run to. There's a, there's a place of shade. There's a place of refreshment, a place, a, a, a place of rest. Am I helping anybody in the building? But I'm learning now that there is another Disorder that we're just now talking about, and it's called borderline personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder. And the more that I read and learn about borderline personality disorder, the more that I'm convinced that I, I am one. I'm a borderline personality disorder. I mean, when you have someone in your life that's never wrong, they're narcissistic, unteachable, untrainable, 
unapproachable, uncorrectable. Everything's about them, and every single thing they do in life is a drama. Am I talking to anybody in the building? It's like if I allow those people in my life to continue to tear me from one direction to the next, I am not going to be a happy camper. So I have come to a place in my life where I've realized you can pick your nose, you can pick your friend's nose, but you can't pick. I've come to a place in my life where I'm old enough now that I'm going to pick and choose those that I want to hang out with, those I want to mentor me, and those I want to bless me. Am I speaking to anybody in the building? And there is an environment, I believe, that God has planned for us to rest in. It's a safe place. It's a, it's a place of seasons. And I like the story of honing. I guess I'll go ahead and share the story of honing since I like it so much. But I believe that wherever you're at today, I believe you can change where you're at and find a new location and be excited about it. In between Malachi and Matthew, there's about 400 years of silence. It doesn't mean that God didn't speak, but it just meant that was not a window that God desired for anybody to record the event. And in that 400-year window in Israel, there was a man that had a reputation. And aren't you glad that you are a person of reputation? And let's hope it's a good reputation. Hello? Let's hope that when things go bad, people run to you and want you to pray. Let's hope when things go bad, people run to you and want your counsel and want your input because you've got something positive and something encouraging to say. There was a guy there living in a village by the name of Honey, and Honey had a reputation of being a prayer warrior. He had a reputation of touching God. He had a, he had a, he had a reputation of when Honey prays for you, things change. There was a season of a drought, and the crops were failing. People were dying. There was no water, lack of water. So a delegate of two or 300 in that area of Israel went to Honey's village, and there they called out Honey. And there they made Honey, how, Honey aware of how bad things were. And the, the story tells that Honey took a staff, went outside his place of refuge, and he drew a circle around him. And he laid down his staff, and he began to pray. And here's the prayer that he prayed. He said, Father, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love, your compassion. But, Father, there's a need right now in this country. And, Father, I'm not leaving this circle until you answer my prayer and you bring rain. Now, the eyewitnesses to this, to this story said that for about 20 minutes, which probably seems about two hours to most of us. I mean, for 20 minutes, he just called upon the name of God. He prophesied. He prayed. He stayed inside that circle. And within about 20 minutes, it began to just barely, barely drizzle. And Honey said, Father, I thank you for the drizzle, but we need more than a drizzle. We need a rain that will fill every cistern, every river, every creek, every lake. We need, we need a rain that we can op occupy for the next several months. And all of a sudden, it began to rain, and for the next three hours, it rained consistently. It filled every pot. It filled every creek, every river, every pond, every, every stream, because one man knew how to make a decision. I'm not leaving this place until you help me get to the next place I'm supposed to be. And that's where I believe that, I, that's, where I, <coughs> that's where I believe many of us are at today. I believe that we are operating in the chronos, which is, which is the same, 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 same. But I believe in that chronos, we have the ability to speak to that chronos and ask God to turn it into a Kairos. If you go with me to Luke, the 15th chapter, very familiar passage of scripture. Luke 15 is directly after Luke 14, directly before Luke 16. If you're there, say amen. 
going to church without your Bible is like eating spaghetti without a fork. You eat a lot on you, but not a lot in you. And you've always, got to, you've always got to realize that when you reaffirm something that's spoken from the pulpit, if any two agree, something, something that happens when you don't just listen to what I'm going to read, but you read along what I'm going to read, there's, there seems like there's a power of confirmation there. But notice, if you will, in Luke 15, verse 4. And what man, man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until... He find it. And when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. You know, Jerry, when I first read this story, kind of got my feelings hurt. Because here is a flock and somebody left the door open there's no blame attached there's no blame attached here there's no negativity but someone left the door open and somehow one of God's flock wandered away from the, the, the flock and began to do their own thing the shepherd was wise enough to realize that one of the flock was missing so the shepherd left a healthy flock and went out and pursued and found that lamb that was lost you know, we talk a lot about destiny. We talk a lot about favor. We talk a lot about purpose. I think our youth camp, our th the theme of our youth camp is pursuit, that we're going to relentlessly pursue the things of God. But I think it's so easy sometimes to be comfortable in your Christian relationship with God that you feel that all that is required of you is that you make it to church once a week, you manage to pray over all your meals, and every once in a while, you extend your hand in kindness and mercy to somebody else. I mean, I won't ask you to lift your hand, but for years, that's what I thought being a Christian was all about. I went to church. I took some money. I, I prayed after every meal. I tried to do the right thing. And every once in a while, I would do something nice for somebody else. Can anybody relate? But it seems like the church that I'm a part of today, there is a storm taking place where the enemy is, is, is trying to remove God's people from God's flock and let them go and do their own thing, go their own way. How many knows it is easy, so easy to get out of the, I don't want to use the word habit, I don't want to use the word rut, I don't use, how, how many knows it's hard, it's, it's easy to become inconsistent with the things that we should be consistent in. Can anybody relate? I mean, I, mean, I, I remember... This, this past year was one of the first times ever in my life, ever, I did not go to church on Sunday. I mean, I, I've, I've been going to church all my life except that window when I was pursuing the things of the world. But it was like if I was sick, I went to church. If, I was, if it was Christmas Day, we went to church. But this year, I went to South Georgia, and Sunday morning while you guys were worshiping, I was in a tree stand. And I actually harvested a deer, and I thought... How wonderful that next Sunday I can come back to Georgia and I can do this again. And while everybody's in church praising and worshiping, I'm sitting in a tree stand. How cool is that? I know that's the wrong mindset, but that just shows you how easy it is to get in the wrong mindset. The word says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, especially as you see that day approaching. Let me tell you something. 
When you see marijuana legalized in Colorado for recreational use, when you see a man walking to a mall in Maryland and killing three people, when you see kids going to a high school and murdering, and when you begin to realize how many prescriptions are going to be filled today in the opiate, we are living in the last of the last days. We're, we're, we're living in a generation that thinks nothing about promoting homosexuality. It, it, it thinks nothing about promoting fornication. It's a generation that, that we're glued to that TV, and that TV puts all kinds of thoughts in our mind. If you watch any kind of sitcom or any kind of, any kind of consistent program, it's like they started out healthy. Are you with me? I mean, when Glee first aired, we thought it was awesome. But then all of a sudden, they begin to introduce different lifestyles and different things and, and, and alter, alternative lifestyle. And how easy it is, if we're not careful, to get caught up in all of that. I mean, I know we probably shouldn't watch Pretty Young Liars, but it seems like it's addicting. Am I helping anybody in the building? It's addicting. And now I personally don't watch Pretty Young Liars, if that's the name of it. That's not something I watch. I'm more of the Jack Bauer 24 guy. I mean, I'd rather see him shoot him and kill him and murder him than kiss and hug and all of that. I'm, that's kind of the way that Donnie and I are bent. That's, uh, but you know what? People can change. My stereo got trashed several months ago, so one of the guys at uh, Underground put a, put a new stereo on, in for me. And our Lexus, the timing belt, the timing belt went out Friday, so we're, kinda, we're driving one car. So I wanted to make sure that when Pastor Rhonda got in the car, I, want, I know this is silly. Can I be silly just for a minute? I want to make sure this seat was adjusted just right because she has little short legs. You know, short people got no reason. Anyway, I, I moved the thing up, and I realized because I moved it up, she would be looking over the mirror, so I tilted the mirror down. And this mirror over here is busted. It's of no use, but I, I brought this mirror in, and then I prayed about it. And so I prayed about it, and I took Led Zeppelin... And I put in Rod Stewart. When she turned the key on, the heat was coming out. The seat was adjusted. The mirrors were perfect. And Rod was singing, the way you look tonight. And when she came in the house, I realized I scored a home run. She act, I scored a home run. So I changed that environment to Bob Seger Night Moves, to Rod Stewart, the way you look tonight. And let me tell you something. You want some smooching? I would get away with the Bob Seger, and I put the Karen Carpenter or the Rod Stewart in and create your own environment. So we have the ability, watch this, we have the ability to make or break the environment that we are in. Here's what's happened. A sheep got lost. We don't know how the sheep got lost, but listen, once the sheep stops coming, it's easy to get in the mode of not coming back. Am I helping anybody? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a demonic thing. It's just life. It just, there's, we're, we're a generation that's busy all the time. Sunday is a day usually that we try to get everything done before the first of the week. I understand that Sunday should be the first week. That's not usually the way we play it out. So here's a sheep that just kind of got out of the process of going to the house of God. And how many knows that there are benefits going to the house of God? How many knows where two or three are gathered, there's a special anointing. There's something about corporate prayer, corporate worship. How many knows that God brings us together to practice on one another? The Bible says they will know we are Christians by our love. And the way that we practice our love is going to the house of God together, worshiping together, praying together, fellowshipping together, greeting together. 
I've, in, the, in the 33 years of, a, of a ministry, eight of those were full-time evangelism. And it was easy for me to tell a healthy church from an unhealthy church just by what happened when the benediction was given. Most unhealthy churches that when the service is over, within five minutes, everybody's out of the building. And it's like, wow, it's like, where did everybody go? Where they, 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 they couldn't wait to leave. But a healthy church is when the benediction is, is spoken, that for 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes, we have, we've had seasons in our life where we had to go, and Pastor Todd, tell me if I'm telling the truth, we had to turn the lights off to try to get the people to leave the sanctuary because there's something about the thrill that you feel when you get together with God's wonderful people because these people are walking a mile in your shoes, they're experiencing what you're going through, they can feel what you're feeling, and they're there for you, and you're there for them. And I think you should give yourself a hand clap of appreciation for that. So when, when that lost sheep is found, and remember the banquet where the Lord said, I want to I I serve flame and yawn. I want to I put the best out there, invite all my friends, invite all of those. And, and they invited them, and they were too busy. So one said, I got married, I can't go. One said, I bought a piece of land, I can't go. One said, I bought some cows, I can't go. And, and the, the, the Lord of the, of the feast got a little irritated, and he said, listen, just go invite anybody. Just let everybody know they're welcome. And that's where the theme, whosoever came from, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him. Not necessarily Israel or Jews or Orthodox or any of that, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when the whosoever's came, all of a sudden the, the Lord realized, whoa, I got way too much food. There's way too much ice. There's way too many drinks. We, we've got room for more. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And that compel is almost the word like bribe, manipulate, do whatever it takes to get them to the house of God. Because what? He that winneth souls is what? Wise. And there is, a, there is a purpose and a plan. There's got to be a way that you get people into the house of God, whether it's a Super Bowl party whether it's a closed closet, whether it's a food pantry, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's a rock concert, whether it's Queen for a Day, whatever it takes, you get them here because there's plenty of food to go around. And notice that when the lost sheep returns back into the flock, notice what's taking place in heaven. Verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Now, I, I got over being offended there, and I realized God loves me if I'm one of the 99. That wasn't the point the Lord was making. The point the Lord was making, you 99 are saved. Go after the one that's not saved and bring them into the house. Get them back safe in, in, the, in the covering of God's power. And then all of heaven's going to rejoice. Do you know when one sinner gives their heart to God, do you know there's a Super Bowl party going on in heaven? Yeah. Do you know the angels are celebrating, the, they're rejoicing, music, laughter, dancing, all that stuff taking place? When one sinner comes back to the house of God. Notice, if you will, verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver... If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it. And when she hath found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of the Lord over one sinner that repented. This story really does not balance out the way that I want it to balance out, because at the conclusion of this testimony, 
It talks about a sinner that repents, that comes back to where God wants them to be. And then I learned the second most important thing in my life today. I bet you'd like to know what that is, wouldn't you? The second. Now, I'm not saying this is good. And I'm saying it's right. And I'm saying that it's healthy. But the second most important thing in my life today is money. Help me. Money answereth all things. Money pays the bills. Money takes pressure off of bill collectors. Or takes pressure off of me, bill collectors. With enough money, I'm not afraid to answer the phone. With enough money, I'm not afraid to go to the mailbox. With enough money, I'm not afraid to go to work because I, I don't owe the boss or anybody any money. Everything that we do in life, fortunate or unfortunate, is based upon the power of money. Whether we wear what we wear or whether we eat what we or whether we do what we do. And, I, and, and lately, I'm, I'm, I'm working, on a, I'm working on, a, on a project that had no heat. And when I went into the sink and turned the water on, there was no water, just ice. And then I went outside and the, the lines had all burst and there was, there was ice everywhere. There was like, and, and that's not a good place to be. And then I got to thinking, I'm going to be done here in an hour. And I'm going home to a heated house, to a cup of hot coffee, to a bowl of taco soup. Not going to lay in bed next to a warm body and spike. <laughs> what would it be like? If I didn't have the ability to pay my electric, what would it be, what would it be like if I didn't have a, a bag of groceries? What would it be like if there was no gas in my car? And then you begin to realize how powerful the motivation of money is. And here's what God is saying. I desire to covenant with you. I desire to open a window and pour you out a blessing so phenomenal and so sensational. But the ability to open that window is through obedience. And when you do your budget, it does not make sense to give God 10% of your gross. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to take 2 or 3% of offering and give to God. It really, mathematically, it does not add up. It does not, it does not add up right. But it was God that established the principle of tithing. And how he did it, he told 11 brothers to tithe to the brother Levi. He was a 12th brother. So God already set up not 10 tenths, but 11 tenths. God sets you in a place of blessing and favor and provision. Am I talking to anybody in the building today? I mean, I made a decision a long time ago not to invest in Prime America. I made, a, I made a decision not to invest in a mutual fund or a 401k. I decided not to do that. I said, if we've got extra, we're going to invest in the kingdom of God and let God watch over it for a season. Am I talking to anybody in the building? But it's easy sometimes when it comes, when it comes right down to it where I either bring my tithes. Which, what, what can I compare it with? Or go to Ruth, Ruth Crisp. How's that? Or go to Aubrey's. I either bring my tithe or I take the family out to Aubrey's and we all eat steak. Sometimes you're tempted to go to the Aubrey's route. Help me. Sometimes it's like, well, you know, God, you got millions of Christians. You got God, you own everything. You don't need my tithe. No, he doesn't. But we need that tithe. We need the ability to say, 
I am in covenant with God and all God has belongs to me and all I have belongs to God and there's favor attached there. Something happened in this child of God's life. She had lost her tithe. She had, lost, she had 10 silver coins. She lost one. So notice what she does. She starts cleaning house. Do you know what is so humorous in my life and Pastor Rhonda's life and those of you that are around me very long? My, my, I have two garages that... And, and one is what we call the play garage. And the play garage, there are skis, there are tree stands, there's hunting stuff, there's dopey, all the stuff attached to having fun. I don't know how dopey got to that, but anyway. And then on this garage over here, there are tools. There are skill saws, chainsaws, rakes, holes, all, all those things there. And you know what? If you were to go to either one of my garages right now, you couldn't get in either. Well, Pastor Todd helped me in the work, but you can't get into the play garage because it is cluttered to such a degree that I couldn't find. We were looking for a, a chisel. I know there's a chisel. I know there's a tape measure. I couldn't even find a pencil yesterday, Brother Terry. I know that somewhere in this hodgepodge garage, and it's like it's like you take your life in your own hands stepping into my garage because you never know what's going to fall off the wall or you're going to step on something that's going to come back and, and whack you upside the head. And it's like, I'm going, my life, my, my life is so out of order. And what's even worse, I have my own drawer. How many got their own drawer? Guys, where are you? I got my own drawer. And in that drawer, they're just supposed to be, you know, pencils and breath mints. And, you know, my drawer right now, you can't open my drawer because of all I've got stuff. And when God said good measure, pressed down and shaken together, he was talking about my drawer. <laughs> my drawer is so out of order. I couldn't find my checks yesterday. Not having money in the bank account, but I needed a check. There was a reason why. And I could not find a check. I couldn't find the skill saw blade. I couldn't find the stuff that I need because my, my, the order in my life is all messed up. Fortunately, I know what I wore yesterday because it's hanging on the banner of the bed. And in Pastor Ron's study, I got a little couch there that I put. There's my socks from yesterday. There's my. So I'm kind of organized there, kind of, sort of. Are you with me? I really don't have any closets. The girls really have all my closets. And, but the, the one closet that I have, it's like you've got to do a karate chop to get to the hanger and then yank and jerk the shirt out, and then it looks like wrinkled like this. Goes, okay, I'll wear this today. What are you saying? I'm saying that, that my closet and my drawer is all messed up. Now, let me tell you what will happen when I clean out the play garage. I'll find some shotgun shells that I needed in November. Yeah. I'll find a pair of socks that I needed yesterday. I'll go into the work garage. Lo and behold, there's a skill saw, the blade, and the wrench to take the blade off with. It's, it's all there. It's just all messed up. My, my, my priorities are not in order. And so what this young lady did, she started cleaning house. And we started cleaning house. She, she found clutter and found stuff and said, I don't need this. I don't need that. This is not important. This is not significant. And she got her priorities back in order. She found her coin. She called her friends and said, that which is lost is found. Come celebrate and rejoice with me. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And do you know why? Let me try to help, try to help you in some teaching that is completely erroneous. I have been told that you should never give expecting to receive. And if you operate in that principle, you are contrary to the word of God. The word of God says what you sow, you will reap. 
If I sow a smile, I'll reap a smile. If I sow a kind word, I'll reap a kind word. If I sow seed, I'm going to have a crop. But if I don't sow with the expectation of receiving, then I'll be burnt out and broke. What's, what's the word? Busted. Disgusting. Say it again. Busted and disgusting. Broke, busted, and disgusting. And nobody wants to live there. That's not a fun place to live. It gets old going through all of your drawer to find enough money to buy a Red Bull. Come on. It gets, it gets old going through your, your daughter's drawer to find enough money to buy a pack of cigarettes. Am I talking about in the building? I, I don't buy a pack of cigarettes. But you get my drift. It's like, it's like we don't have what we need to do what we wanted to do. But God said, I'll, I'll put the cattle in a thousand hills. I'll open you a window. I'll pour you out a blessing. If your priorities are in order. Notice the rest of this. This is not a parable. A certain man had two sons. Either there was a man or there wasn't. Either it did or he didn't. What time is it? At 12? Okay, we can't go there. Okay. Sorry about that. We'll have to. What are you looking at? I'm done. It's, it's, it's 12 o'clock. Pastor Ron had told me that when it turns 12, our brains just go somewhere else. Right now, my brain's headed to Cracker Barrel, because that's, that's God's will for my life today. I'm going to get the meatloaf today, not the chicken and dumplings. I usually get the chicken and dumplings, but today it's the meatloaf with macaroni and cheese, okra, fried apples, and Pastor Ronald's homemade iced tea. That is anybody getting hungry in the building. Okay. Galatians 6. Great word here. This chapter starts off in forgiveness. Here's what the chapter says. If your brother has fallen, and notice it's not saying maybe he's guilty, maybe he's not guilty. It's saying he's fallen. Because whether you are guilty or not guilty, Accusations against you can harm you in both venues. If you're, if you're, the Bible says the wicked flee when no man pursues, the righteous flee when no man pursues. When someone says something bad about you or something unkind about you or something cruel about you, it creates a mindset that's not healthy. Are you with me? The Bible says if a brother has fallen, quickly go to that brother and restore him, whether he's guilty or not guilty. Restore him less the same attack he's under comes against you. Now, here's what love does. Love never uncovers the past. Love always assumes the best. But when we take it upon ourselves to tell others what he did wrong or where he's at, that's completely out of order in the kingdom of God. What it does, it hinders the body. It creates S-T-R-I-F-E, and God hates it. Yes. He hates it. So this, this, in, in order for me to have a relationship with you, it's important that I don't call my friend and tell them about your sin. I don't call my friend and tell them about this, the accusation you're under. 
The Bible says, I come to you and say, hey, I'm here. What can I do to take pressure off? How can I be a blessing? What, 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 how, where do you need me right now in your life? Because when we do that, God quickly turns that anointing of restoration around on us. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such as one the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Watch this. Bear ye one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burden. Listen, we are so busy telling everybody on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter what our burdens are. We don't take a window out in our life and find somebody and say, hey, what, what are you going through? Where, where are you at right now? What's, what's happening with all this? What can I do to help with the pressure? Need to take a gas? I can help with that. Need help with the electric bill? I can help with that. Need some groceries? I can help with that. Just need someone to just to, to vent. Just go ahead and vent. I'm here. Just, just vent on me. What can I do to bear someone else's burden? But if my burden is so overwhelming because of the stuff that I created, do we forget to create, uncreate, and recreate? See, if I don't uncreate the things I created, then I can never operate in a recreation because the recreation has to be done when the uncreate focuses on the create. Then I can create what I recreate, good things. Dilution. Thank you, Donnie. I love, I love Donnie's honesty. For a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let every man prove his own work and then shall have rejoicing to himself alone and not one another. Every man bear his own burden. Let them that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This is what I was looking for. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth the flesh shall flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth the spirit shall reap life everlasting. And verse 9 is where I want to stop this morning as we look at Kronos and Keros. And let us not be weary... In well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Faint from what? Doing the right thing. Be not weary in well-doing. Continue to be what God has called you to be. Continue to do what God has called you to do. Continue to be the answer to someone else's problems. Don't be afraid to self Analyze yourself and say, okay, is this where I'm at? Is this what I need? Is this where I'm going? L look at that. Look, look at your life. Take responsibility for your own actions. Take responsibility for the decisions of the past that have hurt and harmed you. And realize that when we allow the blood of Jesus Christ to remove the past, it's a brand new day. We can start again and be what God has called us to be and do what God has called us to do. Do I have a friend in the house that would say amen? As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, if you...